What's up? My name is Josiah Haken. I've been working with homeless folks for over a decade. I'm convinced one of the main reasons we have not been able to solve the homelessness crisis in the United States of America is because we fundamentally don't understand why it happens or what can be done about it. In this podcast, I interview friends of mine who have experienced homelessness firsthand, experts who have dedicated years of their lives providing services and resources to the unhoused community, as well as theologians and advocates who can help us rethink the issue altogether. In case you haven't heard, I'm also releasing a book on July 29th called Neighbors with No Doors, The Truth About Homelessness and How You Can Make a Difference. Because I believe that people with good intentions who don't know what to do often end up doing nothing at all. I do not expect you to agree with me or my guests on every opinion that is shared on this podcast or in my book. But my hope is that the conversation alone will inspire and equip you to engage your homeless neighbors with confidence and compassion. Welcome to the Neighbors with No Doors podcast. Hey friends, this is Josiah Haken. I am joined by nobody. That's right. It's a little weird, um, but this is the season finale of the Neighbors with No Doors podcast. Um, I started this about six months ago with Rex Harson and um, set up the interviews and worked my way through. And so I thought for this last episode of the first season, hopefully first season, I'm still working on whether or not uh, I'll be able to do a season two, depending on bandwidth. Um, I thought I would just get to share with you a little bit, um, not only about kind of the journey of this podcast, but also from my new book, Neighbors with No Doors, The Truth About Homelessness and How you can make a difference. Um, I thought it would be fun to to read a little bit from this book and give you some background on some of the things that I experienced as I went through the journey of trying to write it and get it done. So um, I'm going to start by talking about probably my favorite part of the book, um, which may reveal more about me than you wanted to know. <laughs> But it's it's the the first page. It says praise for neighbors with no doors, um, and I'll be honest with you, um, the endorsements I got uh, were not fully expected. I, I kind of have this, uh, uh, this debilitating imposter syndrome, where I just assume that everything I do is mediocre at best. So when I started sending out the book uh, to people like the CEO of Bombas, Dave Heath, and um, an author and editor at Time, uh, Belinda, um, you know, my friend, uh, author and theologian, Greg Boyd, uh, Laura Ravo, Dr. Deb Padgett, uh, T.C. Moore, Sarah Newman, Jonathan Walton. Um, these are all people that I just think so highly of. So the fact that they were so willing to give me that endorsement, Suzanne Conrad, um, and so many others, uh, that I'm not mentioning right now. Cause, um, cause my book is so worn down that I can't even get the page open properly. Um, yeah, it's just super humbling. It's super humbling to, uh, 
have that kind of response to a project um, to have these folks uh, just um, be able to give their stamp of approval and, and to say that the book moved them in some ways is really uh, inspiring. Um, I mean, Dave Rodriguez uh, is someone who endorsed the book, who is one of my mentors. Uh, he was the the found one of the lead pastors um, at Grace Church in Indiana for a long time. One of our big partners and uh, Pastor John McKinsey and at Hope Fellowship in Texas and uh, Josh Dean um, from Human NYC. It's just really interesting to me. I love the cross section of people. Um, I was writing this book with the goal of creating something accessible to both those who uh, would claim to be uh, people of faith. Uh, so at City Relief, obviously, we're a Christian organization and we get churches and uh, groups from all different denominations that come out and serve with us. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a person of faith and I, I believe um, that Jesus uh, is uh, is Lord and um, I try to follow him as best I can. And so having the endorsement of, of pastors and leaders means a lot to me, but, but just as much, just as importantly, getting the endorsement of people um, who would not claim to be people of faith, people who, uh, or people of different faiths, um, having their um, feedback was super encouraging because I wanted to create a book that both people of faith and people of no faith or different faiths would resonate with because the reality of homelessness is that it is a human issue. Um, and while I believe that Christians have a very specific uh, obligation and calling to engage the issue of homelessness, I, I don't. Uh, I, I know that it's not uh, only Christians who are out there who are trying to make a difference in this world and, and, and impact the people uh, who are experiencing homelessness. So I'm just super grateful for uh, the cross section. Uh, of endorsements. And then obviously the introduction or the forward, I mean, again, to have Dietra, uh, Denise, uh, write that forward for me. Um, it was so meaningful and so heartfelt. And if you were at the book launch, uh, on Friday, um, there was a section of that, that was read that, you know, really, really touched me. Um, you know, the, the words that Dietra writes, um, you know, is, uh, she goes, Josiah Haken and his team helped me navigate the worst time of my life. Did that make it easy? No, but I had a support system, encouragement, guidance, and love that made my time doable. And none of those things went away when I found a home. I like to think of Josiah as a door that swings easily both ways. There's no pushing hard only to realize the sign says pull, if you are homeless, you experience Josiah as a door to resources, services, kindness, and even a friend. If you have never experienced homelessness, or if you look down on people who have, Josiah is a door that lets you enter the real world gently. He helps you learn, see, and know that one size does not fit all when it comes to the stories of the homeless. He opens his heart and shares the real stories of people who fall into homelessness for reasons beyond their control. Or he explains how some make choices that put them into a hamster wheel of policies and circumstances which keep them from being able to find stability. He is a door through which the homeless find a meal, warm socks, toiletries, rehab, shelter for the night, or just a smile, a hug, or a listening ear. Um, yeah, 
that's a humbling paragraph. <laughs> so to have Dietra uh, write that. And for those of you who don't know, Dietra was, her story was featured in Humans of New York um, recently, and her story has just sort of exploded. Um, and I'm just so proud of her. I'm so impressed by her, so grateful for her. Um, and so the fact that she was able to write the forward really made this, makes this book extra special. Um, so yeah, so just going through the rest of it, you know, like I said, I tried to write something that was accessible, um, meaning I didn't want to write a book that uh, wouldn't appeal to uh, people of all different backgrounds. Um, like I mentioned, the, the faith component um, earlier, but also backgrounds in terms of expertise, right? Like I didn't want to try to speak into um, or create something that would be um, too too big, too uh, deep, uh, too uh, intimidating. Um, and the reason is, is because I think homelessness is often those things. I think when we think about the complexities of homelessness, when we think about the challenges that our homeless neighbors are experiencing, they're huge, they're complex, they're significant. And the problem is that when we face down problems that are so huge, um, we often think they're too too huge, they're too big, they're too uh, untouchable. And so what can the average person really do to make a difference? And, and I think that's the question that led me to write it, is I, I really wanted to empower average people to recognize that you don't have to do everything to do something um, and that your something can actually lead to someone getting everything. And I've seen that over and over again in the streets. I've seen folks who seemed hopeless, seemed beyond any capacity to improve their lives in any way. Uh, the deck was just stacked against them in every shape and form and fashion. And there was no reason to have hope. And then a volunteer from Indiana or a volunteer from Texas or, you know, an accountant or a finance person from Manhattan serves with us in the streets and has a conversation with somebody over a cup of soup and uh, a cup of coffee or hot chocolate or a lemonade. And something in that conversation leads to a revelation. Um, I remember early on in my time as an outreach leader, I had a gentleman who approached me uh, one week and, and he came up to me and he was like, Hey, I just want you to know I got a job because of you. I'm so grateful. Thank you for being here. I am now employed and it's because of you that I got this job. And I remember thinking to myself, how on earth did I get this guy a job? So I asked him, I was like, well, that's amazing. First of all, congratulations. Out of curiosity, what was it a referral that I gave you? Like, was it uh, the employment services sheet, street sheet that I gave you with the listing of temp agencies and service providers? Was that what led to you getting a job? And, and he said, no. I was like, did I, did I call somebody and like make an introduction? No. And I was like, well, how on earth, how on earth did I help you get a job? And he said, well, you talked with me and you helped me think about the previous jobs I've had and the people that I've worked with in the past who would be a good reference for me. 
And as I was walking away from the outreach, when I was walking away from your, uh, your, your bus and your, your canopies and the food and the volunteers, as I was walking away, I remembered someone that I hadn't talked to in years who I used to work with. And I called him up and he gave me a job right then and there. And so it was your conversation that, that led me to that. And it was your prayer. It was your encouragement that led to me getting a job. And so that resonated with me because I realized that sometimes having all the best information and having all the right answers and having the connections there, it's all extremely important, but there's also an element of belief that can, that someone can, can receive as a gift from someone else. You can give someone the gift of belief of, of hope and, you know, and that's what I really wanted to, to write. I wanted to write a book that was accessible. It was short. Uh, I wanted it to be an easy read. Um, but at the same time, I wanted to read something that would impress upon everybody the power that we all have to make a difference in the life of somebody who is going through perhaps one of the most difficult experiences of their lives. Sometimes it's just a prayer. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. Sometimes it's just ideating and thinking out loud. Like, what if it were me? What what could I offer? What would I do? Who would I call? And so that's the the background behind this whole project. Um, and then the other thing is, I, I wanted to write a book that destigmified uh, the homeless community. I wanted to take apart sort of the assumptions and the um, and the stereotypes that are so common. I mean, you just listen to the discourse about homelessness and it's, it's pervasive in our society that we believe that we get what we deserve. We, we believe in this sort of meritocracy that uh, means that we all kind of start off at the same place and with just a little bit of work and a little bit of luck and we can, we can all achieve the American dream. And, and, and the problem is, is, you know, that does happen. There are people who manage to do that. There are, are folks who, who are resilient, who overcome incredible odds and overcome incredible challenges to, to, to make a lot of money and to be able to live successfully and sustainably. Um, but those folks are the exception. They're not the rule. And, uh, I really wanted to help, again, average people who don't think about homelessness every day, all day, like I do. Um, I wanted you guys to be able to to read, you know, sort of a, a, a concise and um, clear, uh, you know, description of, of the realities that folks who are in the street often end up um, you know, fighting against. Um, and so I thought... Um, you know, for, for this section, you know, I would, I would address, you know, four of the main lies, uh, that I believe are the most common, which is that, um, homeless folks are, uh, lazy, um, that homeless folks are dangerous, that homeless folks are, are all mentally ill and that homeless folks are all addicted to, to drugs or alcohol. Um, and, you know, with each of these chapters, I open up with a story about someone that I met in the street who either epitomizes uh, that stereotype. And then I kind of talk back through the details of the story so that I can hopefully help the reader uh, maybe see the situation through a different 
perspective. Um, so for example, in the lies about danger, I open up with one of the, you know, the most dangerous experiences I had in the street, uh, with someone who, who ended up leading to a, a really a brawl on the sidewalk that, um, ended up sort of in the middle of, and, you know, the question again, because why did I, why did I tell that story? If that does, does that, doesn't that just reinforce stereotypes? But the point was to kind of think through, um, the reality of what we see. Cause I think sometimes we see things and we just, we have a preconceived story in our heads about why that event happened or why the person responded that way. And um, again, I don't think we understand fully the complexities that would lead to someone engaging in that kind of behavior or, or the lies about mental health. I tell a story about a guy who had severe, severe mental illness, who thought I worked for the FBI, uh, who was convinced that, you know, we were going to help him and his partner uh, escape on a boat to Hawaii where they were going to live in a bungalow for the rest of their lives. Um, again, this guy was, was not well. Um, at the same time, I wanted to reinforce the difference between just chalking up homelessness to mental health issues instead of recognizing the complexities that go through it and go into it. Um, and then the lies about drug use, you know, again, I, I ha it is true that, um, that a lot of folks who are in the street struggle with, with substance use. And, um, and again, overdose, uh, is a huge issue. I stress this at my, uh, book launch event. This is the reality that over a hundred thousand people, uh, have overdosed and died in the last year. Um, overdose deaths now are the leading cause of death for people under 50. Um, it overtook traffic, uh, accidents, uh, for the first time a few years ago. It's, 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 incredible. It's horrible. It's horrific. People are dying. And I think, again, a lot of that has to do with our misunderstanding of what leads someone to that place where they're struggling uh, and how can we support them and help them and what other outside of the box solutions exist that we need to kind of rethink and, and consider because what we're doing right now when it comes to substance use in this country is not working. Um, it's just not working. A hundred thousand people dying uh, is not is not working. So something needs to be done differently. And I, my hope is again, that this book will uh, help us build empathy, uh, build compassion uh, for people um, who are dealing with, with very real issues and, and really, really significant struggles. Um, in part two, you know, then I kind of turn the, turn the page literally in this case, pun intended. Um, and I talk about, what does it look like to uh, be a good neighbor? What does it mean to engage the people around us who are hurting? And, and how do we engage our, our neighbors with compassion? And the goal with that, with that chapter is to just help people uh, feel empowered to do something, to engage one-to-one, uh, -one, to see the human being who's sitting in front of them. Um, the, obviously, there are hundreds of stories I could have told, I could have written some of them I did write, um, but they just didn't make the, make the cut. Um, and, but again, the goal, the reason I chose the story I did is because I felt like it was a real life example. It's the, it's the story of me, uh, you know, being shoveled out of a snowy embankment by a homeless guy who I gave $5 to. Um, and you know, the, the realities that, 
you know, seeing homeless people and engaging with homeless people oftentimes is something that we do in between other things. Um, we're not in a position to um, always go out on outreach, right? Some of us have jobs and we have uh, families and we have obligations. And so, you know, it's not, it's not something that you can really, you know, really dedicate your whole life to because it's, it's just not practical. It's not feasible. So I told this story because I wanted folks to realize that these are people that we're seeing uh, as we dash in and out of um, gas stations, as we uh, drive up, you know, to a, to an exit ramp, as we walk to and from appointments in the city. Um, And so we need to be prepared to see the human who is in front of us and engage them with compassion um, in between the regularly scheduled programming in our lives. Um, so I tell the story of Marcus um, and, you know, I talk about how I gave him a few bucks and really thought highly of myself for doing, doing things the right way. When it turns out that Marcus was the, was the person that actually helped me more, way more than I helped him. Um, which I think is also the case, you know, that that's more, more common than you might realize. Sometimes we go into these conversations around homelessness thinking we are the ones who are going to be the, the helpers. We are the ones who are going to be the generous ones. Um, and then we find out very quickly that in fact, it is the other way around that when we step into these spaces with a compassionate mindset, that folks that we, um, meet and we engage are the ones who sometimes have the most to offer us. And so we can miss, we can be the ones who miss out on, on that when we are closed handed or when we are rushed and we think that we can't, can't manage it. Um, so I talk a lot about noticing the people around us and, uh, you know, whether or not I should give money to people in the street and just trying to rethink that detail and, um, and I talk about my friend Eric and his daughter Juliet, and how Juliet uh, ends up, you know, insisting that Eric and Sarah, her parents, you know, go to Target and buy supplies and turn them into kindness kits uh, and give them away. Um, and you know that this this idea again, the simplicity of compassion um, and how how valuable it is. Um, and one of the things I end the chapter with is uh, this very important detail, which is compassion cannot be contingent on the receptivity of the person to whom you're offering it. True compassion is always based on what you're trying to demonstrate, regardless of how the person responds. By seeing the people all around you who might be lonely or in need, and by engaging them with a plan and a tangible expression of your concern for their humanity, you will make this world a little better one interaction at a time. And I really believe that. So, um, but then the other truth is that, you know, having compassion one interaction at a time oftentimes feels like it's not enough, right? And so then I go into a, a chapter I call Going Further, where um, I try to try to move uh, into this this dynamic of connection. So, right, like it's one thing to engage. It's one thing to engage the person you're seeing on the street, to say hello, to make eye contact, to give them a few dollars, to learn their name, to offer yours, to 
build kindness kits to, to bring your kids involved. Like that's all really important and really valuable. And I, I cannot stress enough the impact that that has on the people around us who are hurting and on us, on ourselves as we engage. Um, but there's another step in the process beyond engagement, which is connection, which is this idea of helping the people we are seeing get connected to long-term help and long-term services. Um, one of the things that really struck me about this um, is something I use when I train uh, outreach leaders. This is a story that I tell. Um, and at one point in time, this is sort of a, a fun fact, I guess, as my eight-year-old would say, fun fact. Um, I, I actually wrote a book uh, that has led to this book, um, but I opened it with a story, um, a, a sort of a parable of my daughter, Eden. Um, and the parable goes something like this. I'll try to recount it for you here. Um, my daughter is uh, 10 years old. Uh, my wife and I have been married uh, 17 years. So um, when she is, uh, so she's 10. So when she's three years from now, um, my wife and I will be celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary, knock on wood. Um, so I had this revelation, like what happened? So say my wife and I um, decided that we would celebrate our 20th wedding anniversary by, you know, having my kids, my daughter and my son stay with, you know, my in-laws or my parents or their godparents or whatever. Um, and we decided to go on a trip to celebrate. That's a normal thing, right? To celebrate your 20th anniversary. Maybe we'll go to Europe or Barbados or someplace amazing. Um, but unfortunately, what happens if something were to happen to us? What happens if tragedy strikes and our plane goes down or we're in a car accident or, you know, I'm, a, I'm in a surfing accident. I'm just kidding. I don't surf. Um, you know, there's a, a tragic jet ski accident. Either way, something happens and my wife and I don't make it home. Um, my daughter will be 13 uh, around that time. So if this happened when we were celebrating our 20th, she'll be 13. 13 is a really important age. Um, a lot of development happening for 13 year olds out there. Um, and what would happen if my daughter ended up having her life flipped upside down, losing both her parents, um, potentially being forced to move, to live with someone who, you know, would care for her, whether it's her godparents or my parents or my wife's parents, doesn't really matter. She would move out of her context, um, and say that move is traumatic and, and she struggles and, um, the teenage years get really rocky and, and say she ends up, uh, you know, falling into addiction or falling into the wrong crowd, getting arrested, um, getting a DUI, um, maybe dealing with mental health challenges as a result of the trauma that she's experienced. Um, and say she feels like she's a burden to the people that she's staying with and she doesn't really belong with them because they're not her real parents. And, and so she makes her way to a bus station and decides to get on a bus to New York and ends up homeless, uh, at Port Authority in New York city. And then my next thought is as her father, what would I want people to do for her? What would I want people to offer her? How would I consult? Say, uh, if an outreach, uh, person who's the CEO of city relief, uh, you know, consulted me and said, what would you, what would you want us to do for, for this young lady, you know, who's now, um, say 18 years old, 
homeless in the streets, addicted, uh, and without hope. What, what would I want for her? And the truth is, is that as much as I would want someone to be compassionate and to give her attention and say hello and, and offer to pray with her and give her some money and help her with supplies and be compassionate, those are all very important things. And I would want that for her. The truth is that as her father, I want more. I want more for her than just that compassion. And that's really what the chapter going further is, is really about. It's about equipping people with this idea that it's important. It's important to be compassionate, but there's got to be something more. We have to offer connection to something better, to something bigger, and we have to offer it. So when, as I think about this story of, of my daughter potentially walking up to one of our outreach locations, one of our pop-up outreach locations at City Relief. And I think about what would I, what would I want as her father for her to experience in that interaction? I would want her to get the meal. I would want her to feel welcomed and experience love, but I would also want someone to offer her more as in what, what can we do to connect you to community? What can we do to get you off the street? What is there? What options have you explored? What are, what do you want in life? What do you what are your goals? What would what can you like help her imagine a better future for herself and then help her put tangible steps together to achieve those goals and believe that there is hope. And so that's what the chapter going further really comes from. It comes from um my desire, um, you know, to offer more than uh, a cup of soup, um, but actually offer a connection point to something bigger and uh, more holistic. Um, and so that's that's where, you know, I really believe that we have to do better and we have to do more to move beyond just transactional compassion, but actually into um, long-term help and connection. Um, the next chapter uh, is bringing it home. Um, and bringing it home is sort of the final, uh, narrative, um, where I try to talk about how, um, I open the chapter with, um, with this, I'll just read this quick. It says this book only scratches the surface of what leads someone in America to live without stable housing. Homelessness is like an ocean where all the rivers of poverty and streams of injustice pull together when they are allowed to flow undeterred. I have spent the last decade of my life trying to pull people out of the waves while other organizations and individuals are upstream trying to stop or slow the current of each individual issue. Those currents include the affordable housing crisis, economic injustice, systemic racism, discriminatory policing and court systems, domestic violence, poor mental health treatment, substance addiction, the foster care system, and everything in between. But the complexity of the problems also means that there's a starting point for anyone who wants to get involved. And this is really the point of, of the book is to say like, again, it, you don't have to be working in the streets 
to engage people who are experiencing homelessness to make a difference with homelessness. You don't have to work at a shelter or be a social worker or a psychiatrist, or you don't have to work in government. You, you can be involved in fighting the tide, the current that's pulling people down. And I can't tell you how important this is going to be going forward. I've been doing this for 12 years now, just about. And um, I can tell you that right now, the season we're in as a country, when it comes to homelessness, poverty, desperation, mental health, racism, um, it's not getting any better. It's, it's, it feels like it's getting worse. Um, in New York City, we have uh, more, we're serving more people in the streets today uh, than we have at any point in time in our history, other than the April, May, and June of 2020 when COVID hit and all the other services shut down or many of them shut down. Um, and so the problems are real. Uh, the evictions are piling up. Um, the resources to support people uh, who are down on their luck are drying up. People are giving less uh, than than they gave in 2020. Um, you know, financially, people are are not doing great and, and it's reflecting um, and impacting the nonprofits that exist to support or, uh, folks who are in trouble. Um, and so there's a lot to do. There's, there's a lot, uh, of work to be done that the, the current is getting stronger, not smaller, not weaker. Um, and so really the best thing we can do is we can link arms with each other and we can get involved in a really, really, powerful way. Um, because together we can make a difference together. We can actually build a chain that would support people, uh, as they're, you know, flying down the river and, and stumbling and grabbing hold of whatever they can grab a hold of before the current takes them out to sea. Because the other reality about homelessness is once someone is out in the ocean, once someone falls in the homelessness, the, the ability to, to, to get them out, to, to help them navigate out of that, those deep waters, it gets much harder. Uh, so we need to interrupt the cycle. We need to uh, set up catches for people who are tumbling downwards. Um, and that is, is going to be up to, to you and me. That's going to be up to us. Um, and so I really, really want to just encourage you that you don't have to give your life full time to the work of, of homeless intervention um, to, to make a difference. And if it's kids, if it's, uh, young families, if it's, um, you know, uh, accounting stuff, if you're, uh, you know, if you want to help people with their taxes, if you want to, um, you know, if you're a mechanic or if you're, uh, a driver, or if you have, um, extra financial resources, again, you can make a huge difference by investing and, and donating, whatever it is that you have at your disposal. Um, and so I would just plead with you and encourage you to consider what you have in your hands. What do you have that you can offer? Maybe it's business savvy. Maybe, I mean, lots of nonprofits need uh, board members and, and people who are equipped um, to, to make a difference and um, to lead. And I, it's a huge deal when you can, commit to supporting organizations, um, that need your help to, to make a difference. Um, because it doesn't have to look a certain way to make 
a difference. It doesn't have to look a certain way to, to, to have an impact. Um, so please consider what, what you can do. Uh, if you have specific questions, don't hesitate to reach out to me directly uh, via social media or uh, via email. My email is just Josiah, J-O-S-I-A-H at cityrelief.org, uh, C-I-T-Y-R-E-L-I-E-F dot O-R-G. Um, and I would love to to be uh, a support to connect you to other organizations or other avenues that you can uh, make a difference with, whether that's through your time, uh, your talent, uh, or your financial resources. I want to want to be able to to help you leverage those so that you can make a difference uh, and that you can join this chain uh, of people that are attempting to step up during this difficult season. And the last section of the book um, is is just a really special one. Uh, my friend Corey Hayes. Uh, who also works at City Relief, is a phenomenal photographer. Um, and so he and I went out and, and met with uh, uh, 10 folks um, who I have had the privilege of walking with in some capacity over the last decade. Um, and I just tell their stories and include a portrait that Corey took uh, with their permission uh, in the book so that, um, again, so that we can recognize the the human being behind the issue um, and and hopefully have hope because I think having hope that that things can get better having hope that things can change um, is not just important for the people who are experiencing homelessness but it's also important for those of us who are trying to help them and trying to learn from them and engage with them and connect with them um, because if we believe there's no hope um, we will uh, we'll lose our way. We'll, we'll stop trying. And then so many more people will fall, fall through the cracks. Um, as you can, you may or may not be able to see behind me. Uh, I have a, a couple of movie posters on my wall. Um, and one of them is from the Shawshank Redemption. Um, and on the poster, uh, it says, fear can hold you prisoner, but hope can set you free. And I just want to encourage all of us that uh, we have to be people of hope. We have to engage uh, with the belief that something better is possible, that yesterday does not have to look like today. uh, And tomorrow doesn't have to look like today, that we can actually have an impact and we can change the trajectory of our lives, um, that we can make a difference. And I know when we look around at the world, when we watch the news, when we engage, we oftentimes think that this uh, things are too big, too bad, too hopeless. Um, but I have to tell you, I've seen people experience brand new life. Um, I have seen uh, one person uh, who comes to mind. I won't. I won't use his real name, and I'll change some of the details um, so that it's not obvious who it is. But one person who comes to mind when I met him, it was February of 2020 uh, middle. I'm sorry. I lied. It was in March of 20. It was right after the pandemic hit. And this guy was the stereotypical homeless person um, complete with grocery cart full filled to the brim with random belongings and things that he'd collected, um, you know, with uh, just dirty clothes and, unwashed and, and, and quiet and, and clearly just not doing well. 
Um, this is someone over the course of time who I ended up uh, finding out had his master's degree from a major university um, and had an incredible skill set in uh, information technology and um, and was dealing with some incredible trauma and ended up on the street um, and through a long series of events, ended up in the hospital, um, was going to be discharged to the streets again. And our team was able to get involved and was able to intercept that discharge and find an alternative route forward and just advocated for them to keep him another day while we figured out an alternative option. Um, and we were able to get him connected to another organization that provided housing and mental health support. And uh, over time, he was really able to improve um, and ended up landing a job with a major, major company uh, that that pays uh, very well. And, um, and because of the medications and because of therapies and things, was able to stabilize and um, get a roof over his head. And, and, and really, he's living a different life. It's a different life. Um, again, not without challenges and not without struggle. It's, everything's not just magically fixed. He's, he's, but he's still living a different life. It's his life today does not look like it did just two years ago. Um, and so it's possible. It's, it doesn't always work out. It doesn't always end in a happy, you know, uh, Disney sort of ending. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a struggle, but I'm telling you just a little bit of effort, a little bit of empathy and the world can look a lot different for a lot of people. And we can make that difference. We can be a part of that transformation. So I would end with, um, I hope that you read the book. I hope, uh, that it resonates with you. Again, you can find it, um, at neighborswithnodoors.com, or you can go to, uh, Amazon and search for neighbors with no doors. Uh, you can go to Barnes and Noble's website and search for neighbors with no doors. Um, you can, uh, pretty much get it a lot of places, but my hope is that this book is, is a tool, is a, as a resource, I, I know, I know it's not comprehensive. I know it doesn't cover everything. It's very, very, uh, uh, it's very shallow in a way it's, but my goal is for people to read it and be able to enter that water, uh, right. Enter those streams and those rivers that are pouring into the ocean of homelessness. I want people to feel safe, uh, kind of dipping their toe in and, and kind of, you know, wading out into the water. Um, and so that's the point of this book. And so I hope that you'll um, get it and uh, appreciate appreciate that. Even if you're an expert, if you're a you know PhD in social work, and uh, you know if you're uh, a master's level um, you know student or a, or a medical provider, um, and you have you know years and years of experience, I, I maybe this book will just be a reminder of the humanity of the people that you are serving and engaging with on a daily basis. But maybe you're, again, if you're not, if you've never done anything about volunteering and never really known how you can get involved, this book's also for you. So you can get, get engaged. Um, 
and yeah, that's a wrap. That's, um, that's the book. Please. If you, again, if you have read it and you, you leave me a review on Amazon, I'm told that that helps. Um, I think right now I'm sitting on one five-star review, so I'd love for you to love to get to two, you know, multiply that out by a hundred percent, get to a, a second review. Um, but ultimately I would just, I would just love for you to get involved and get engaged in this issue in some way. I, like I said earlier in the beginning of this podcast, I don't know if I'll be uh, doing a season two. I'm, I'm hoping to, I'm going to be talking to my producer about that and figuring out what kind of uh, options we have. Um, I, I didn't, I didn't set up a Patreon or anything for this. This is something I'm doing on the side. Um, so uh, there are some financial implications and some time implications that I have to consider. Um, so uh, if you're interested in this podcast continuing and you'd like to reach out about that and maybe how you can help make that happen, let me know. I do have a few interviews outstanding that I wasn't able to get to this season, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can maybe continue this uh, into a season two. Um, and yeah, with that, uh, with that being said, it is just such an incredible privilege to have been able to share these 10 episodes with you. Uh, I hope that you found them to be beneficial and inspiring. And, um, and I'm just so grateful for each of you for, for tuning in. And like I said, I would love for you to, um, to reach out and, and tell me uh, how this podcast landed with you, how the book's landing with you. Um, if you have any issues or if you try to practice some of the things you've heard about in this podcast or in my book and, and you have a bad experience or you have a good experience, either way, I want to hear about it. So please email me um, or uh, send me a message on social media. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Josiah Haken. Uh, Instagram, I'm at Josiah underscore Haken. Um, and uh, I'm on uh, LinkedIn and Facebook as well. I still don't know how to use Snapchat. I think that just reveals my age, but, um, I am on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and, uh, and Instagram. So, all right, friends, that's a wrap for me. Neighbors with no doors, uh, season one podcast. I hope you have an amazing day and I really appreciate your time. Um, and I really appreciate your concern for our neighbors with no doors. I am so grateful that you took the time to listen to this episode of the Neighbors with No Doors podcast. I hope you found it helpful and empowering. Just so you know, I'm releasing a book that is also going to be called Neighbors with No Doors, and I would love for you to check it out. You can find it at neighborswithnodoors.com. You can like our Facebook page or follow along on Instagram and Twitter. I'd like to thank my producer, Rex Harson for helping me put this together, as well as the many guests who gave me the gift of their time and their story. Have a great day. We'll see you next time.